It's the Adam Crowley Show. This is the kind of thing that just tickles my ball. On ESPN Pittsburgh and the iHeartRadio app. Time for hour number two on the Adam Crowley Show. Coming to you from the Terrace on 5th above Buford's Kitchen. I am Matt Geica filling in for Adam Crowley. A whole heck of a lot of football talk in the first hour. But now as we get to 5 o'clock, quit in time if you even are working. This is that odd week between Christmas and New Year's where, I don't want to say most, but it seems like a lot of people have some time off, some extra time on their hands. Make your way down to the Terrace on 5th. They just passed a menu to us, I think, in the... uh, a very subtle message that maybe we might be hungry. Loaded pulled pork nachos, chicken salad croissant, Chicago-style Italian beef sandwich, and a whole huge list of draft beers here at the Terrace on 5th. That's above Buford's Kitchen right across the street. From PPG Paints Arena, where at 7.08 p.m., got to be precise, the Blue Jackets will make their second visit in a week. Very strange portion of the NHL schedule, but... Considering how intense the uh, first game was, a 3-2 Penguins win in a shootout last week before the holiday, before the NHL took three days off for the Christmas uh, Day, Christmas Eve, and the day after, Boxing Day if you want to call it that way, we should be in for uh, another, I think, high-intensity contest between these two Metropolitan Division rivals and the Penguins. Just to point out a last place in the Metro, the urgency should definitely be there for the two-time defending champs. Joining me here for the next hour, at Terrace on 5th from the Point of Pittsburgh and the Fischler Report. He is Vince Communale. Vince, thank you for braving the harsh elements this evening. Yeah, it's uh, much colder out there than I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had the same reaction as I walked about two blocks, and I felt like uh, a real pansy bundling up. But, hey, it's like 15 degrees, whistling wind. Feels like Winnipeg out there. It does. It's, uh, it's, it's like hockey weather almost. <laughs> yeah, it puts you in the mood, doesn't it? And speaking of that, this is a very special day. In NHL history and Penguins history, December 27th, 2000. I think most listeners would know what I'm angling at here. Across Center Avenue at the old building at the Igloo, Mario Lemieux made his return to the NHL with a goal and a couple of assists and a 5-0 defeat of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Vince, I don't have to look any of that up. I remember it. I don't think I'll ever forget it. I was watching on TV from back home. I don't know where you were, but uh, you were in the arena, was, in fact. So I was there covering it for the uh, radio station that I was working for at the time. And Yeah, your memories of that have to be I, I've never seen anything like it. I've gotten to cover four Stanley Cup finals, uh, outdoor games, uh, all-star competitions, uh, NHL awards. N- nothing compares to the, the, the atmosphere and what the building felt like that night. I mean... The, the whole arena was filled for warm-ups just to see Mario come out and skate around in warm-ups. And then when they lowered his uh, number from the rafters with uh, his then very young son, son, Austin, watching them as they brought down his number, and then he comes out and gets an assist 34 seconds into the game. And then this is the only time I've ever seen people cheer in a, in a press box, <laughs> professional hockey writers, when Mario scored that goal at the end of that yeah. game. It was just a, it was just a surreal scene and something that I will certainly uh, never forget. The development of that play, Yager coming up the ice, turning in that right wing corner, looking up, finding the Mew one timer past Cujo. It was perfect, wasn't it? It was. It was just. Uh, you, it was almost like when when he scored that goal, you you couldn't even. Nobody can, can like control their emotions. It was just like 
unbelievable to what you were watching. It was like a surreal experience. And Mario, it was not a one-night wonder by any means. No. If he would have played the whole season, he would have won another Art Ross trophy. He was right back, locked in. I remember as a 15-year-old, not to make anybody here feel old or young, <laughs> as it were, but it was like magic. It, it was like the guy takes two and a half years off, and it's like he took two and a half days off. And um, it, it, the, the plays he was making, the instant chemistry he rediscovered with Yager, I think he had Kevin Stevens on that line, too, at some point. Yeah. He played with Jan Herdina that, that opening night, too. So he was moving around the lineup a little bit, but uh, that Penguins team, 2000-2001, made that really impressive push at the end of the season. They scored a ton of goals, selling out buildings around the league. It, it doesn't really rise to the level of, um, of hyperbole to say he saved the franchise, but I think he really lifted the NHL as a whole that year. I think he did, too. I think that, uh, I mean, it's very, very infrequent that you see the NHL leading sports center, and that night that was the, definitely the top story. Um, and it was. It was like a traveling uh, circus almost. They, they, they were literally selling out. I remember actually going to a game in Columbus, and I believe that was Columbus's first year in the league. It was, yeah. And uh, the I remember the fans sitting around where I was sitting saying how lucky they were that they, you know, they just randomly had these tickets, and all of a sudden they get to watch Mario Lemieux. <laughs> and it, like you said, it wasn't like he just came back and he was playing on the fourth line and it was a novelty act. He was literally the best player in the league again for probably that season and the season after, and then the injury started catching up to him again. He did get a chance to win the gold medal in the Olympics, and I think it was uh, 02. Yep. But uh, after that, he, he slowly declined, and then, we, as we know, the, he had the heart condition that ended up uh, you know, having he, him having to retire, but he was 40 years old at that point. But, uh, you know, it, it was cool to get to see him, you know, almost a, a new generation of fans, even though he was only gone for, uh, I think it was – three years, two and a half years, whatever it was, uh, to, to get to see him play that maybe never saw him get to play in person. And the fact that he did get to play with Sidney Crosby for a little bit, that's kind of a, a unique thing. He, he actually assisted on, I think, three of Crosby's goals before mm-hmm. it was all said and done. So that was it was definitely a night that I'll never forget, and I don't think a lot of people in Pittsburgh will ever forget. And uh, I can't believe it's been 17 years already. It has. And as I said, I'm part of that generation. I started watching the Penguins just after Mario retired. I was big into Yager and, and Straka and Kovalev and those late 90s pens. Very Euro heavy. And then Mario comes in, and it just pushed my hockey fandom to the next level. 76 points, by the way, in 43 games for Lemieux <laughs> <laughs> in a half season. 76. Yeah, that's, that's not too bad. He was playing, this might even be more amazing, 24 minutes a night at age 35 after taking two and a half actually three and a half years three as it turns half, out yeah. yeah right i had that math wrong there and i always think it was a missed opportunity with crosby i thought they could have really made some magic together um for an extended period of time but yeah. in those 26 games as you mentioned they hooked up for some goals and the same night that sid scored that um the penalty shot goal and pardon me the other uh, shootout goal against jose Taylor of montreal winning that game that was the same night as mario lemieux's last goal yes as an nhl number 690 in 915 NHL games. So there's a trip down memory lane. Now as for the present, Vince, this Penguins club has struggled all year long. There's no getting around it. If we thought last year was a Stanley Cup hangover, I think we realized this is the real Stanley Cup hangover. Much worse. (laughs) It is. And where they stand right now, as I said, just one point out of last place in the 18 Metro Division. They are facing the Blue Jackets tonight, who are seven points up on them. The Penguins have won 18 of their 37 games. So in that way, they're under 500 yes. right now. Can you pinpoint something in the past, say, month or so? Do you, do you see something out there 
that is holding them back from hitting their stride. We thought they might at this point of the season, at least. The uh, the slow starts are have really been their Achilles heel this year. It seems like they're behind in every game. They're playing from behind in every game. Uh, and let's be honest with you. If you look at their entire schedule so far, th- I think that they've played maybe three or four games from start to finish this whole season. Yeah. They they usually get interested once they're down by two two goals or at least a goal, and that's not going to win you very many games in the NHL, especially with how competitive the Eastern Conference and particularly this division is. So I, I mean that's that's definitely one and quality of shots is another. I, I think that the, the you you look at their shot totals, they lead the league in shots as of the last time I looked. They do, yeah, but. They're not very many quality shots. Uh, that game against Colorado a couple weeks ago, I, I went to the visitors' locker room, and uh, I forget who it was who played goal that night, if it was Verlamoff or whoever it was. It was Jonathan Bernier. Bernier. It was yeah. Bernier, that's right. Um, he said to me, he said, well, I almost got the shutout, but I really only had to make one tough save, and it was on Crosby late in the game. He and, was right, yeah. And that's it's funny to, to hear a goalie that candidly say, you know, okay, the Penguins had 40 shots, but I really only had to make one tough save. So that tells you something there. This, you know, so combined the slow stars combined with the lack of quality shots, uh, along with many other factors, I think that uh, I think that's, you know, a lot of what the problem is right now. The Penguins will go into this game, their final home game in this little stretch, and now they go back on the road. This will be your last chance to catch the Penguins if you can score some tickets before the new year here at home. And they defeated the Blue Jackets three-two in the shootout, but. Vince, the only two teams they have beaten this month in regulation are the Buffalo Sabres twice and the Arizona Coyotes once. Those are the two worst teams in their respective conferences. So they've come upon this record honestly. They're not, you might say, that they've been getting a little bit unlucky in some of the, the pucks not bouncing their way, especially on the offensive end. I don't care how many quality chances you do or you don't get, they should be scoring more than they are. But uh, overall, they've just been lackluster the whole way through, and this month is a pretty good example of that. Absolutely. It, it was refreshing to hear Coach Sullivan after the last game say everybody realizes in the room and watching us at home that we haven't played up to expectations of potential, and hopefully the, the break will uh, clear everybody's minds and they'll come back uh, in the right frame of mind. So at least, you know, they're not trying to sugarcoat things. They know. No, and, not at all. And, you know, they're trying to fix it. But I don't know if there is a simple fix. Uh I mean, obviously, you know, nobody wants to hear it, but it it's a real thing being fatigued. I mean, these guys played the core of this team, played 213 games in the last two seasons, not not including preseason games, not including games that uh, a lot of the star players played in the World Cup. So that, that does play into it, but this team is too good to be where they're at in the standings right now. They should at least be, you know, battling for a playoff position, and right now, they're one point out of last place in the Eastern Conference. They're three, uh, I'm sorry, in their division. And they're three points out of a, of a playoff spot, of a wild card yeah. spot in the East. I know Crosby, Malkin, Matt Murray, some of the big names haven't been quite themselves, but if you had to pick out one guy to symbolize the team-wide malaise, it would be Chris Letang, I would uh, say, right? Yes. And that game against Anaheim might have been the most brutal game I've seen him play, maybe going back to his rookie year of, of 2006-07. So it's been a long time since he looked that bad, just giving pucks away. He gave a puck away that led to the opening goal, passing it five feet behind Brian Dumoulin, just a basic D-to-D pass at the yeah. blue line. Nothing complicated there. You or I could go out there and make it nine out of ten times. And I thought especially ugly, Vince, was on that power play in the second period where he's coming up the ice trying to drop it to Phil Kessel, and there's a duck right on his tail, and he gives it right to the duck, basically, on a drop pass. So he's not seeing the ice. He's forcing something, 
or he's overthinking, he's underthinking. I think we've all had our theories on what's going on with Chris Letang. Is it as simple, though, as pointing to the injury and trying to adjust to playing with the uh, the repaired herniated disc that he had in his neck? I, I mean, that, that probably plays into it, but, I mean, it just it seems like he is just his head's not there sometimes. I, I, I equated it to uh, Starling Marte the other day. You see Starling Marte out in the outfield sometimes. He doesn't know how many outs there are. You know, Chris Letang just sometimes, it looks like he's not thinking out there. Um, I, I saw a stat the other day on Twitter. The Penguins have been outscored 37-14 to 14 at 5-on-5 five five with Chris Letang on the ice this Whoa. season. Yeah. Uh, you know, to go along with his, I think it's minus 23 rating at this point. I uh, I don't know. I mean, I've watched him a couple times this year, more than a couple times actually, just not get to the red line. No, Unobstructed not to get to the red line, he fails to get to the red line, and it's an icing call. There's nobody pressuring him. He just doesn't get to the red line. I've seen him also a couple times this year where the Penguins are trying to score. They have the goalie pulled, the puck is iced, and he's just leisurely skating back to go get the puck instead of hustling back to save time on the clock. And those are things to me that, I, I don't care if you're hurt or not. That's just like hockey 101. You hustle back to get the puck. You get to the red line to dump it in. It's it's almost, for me, with him this year, it's just a lack of attention to detail. But it's a really bad lack of attention to detail because as I, that's that I just read in his my plus-minus rating. I think that he really needs to focus. And, you know, maybe he, I, I saw that he scratched tonight. Maybe, maybe he's not really injured. Maybe the coaching staff wants him to uh, take a look from above and uh, think about some things. The official word is lower body injury, and yeah, I'm glad you got to that. He is not playing tonight. Number 58 will not be on the ice for the Penguins, so they'll adjust there. And Mike Sullivan was asked, in fact, at the morning skate this morning, if they would consider maybe a more aggressive rest pattern, perhaps giving Chris less ice time. He's still right around 24, 25 minutes, which is his usual intake but maybe that's not right for him right now as he tries to figure out his game. But it didn't seem like Sully was on board with that sort of plan. So um, perhaps you're right. Maybe this is a very thinly veiled attempt to get him a chance to watch a game from the press box. I don't know if it can really uh, help that much. I think he's got to work out his issues on the ice. And unfortunately for the Penguins, they're not really in a position standings-wise to continue to allow that to happen. So they're in a catch-22 situation, aren't they, with this? They are, and if you look at the remaining schedule for the Penguins, they have a ton of division games coming up. They, they've played a lot of the Western Conference opponents already and are done with them or only have one game left with them. They do have a uh, California trip coming up, but after that, they don't play uh, west of the St. Louis Blues the rest of the season. So th- there's really not a, a good opportunity to rest Chris Letang because if he if he is healthy, they need him out there. I mean, he, he's immensely talented. It's just that he needs to figure out his game. And uh, you know, maybe tonight, you know, one game will probably be enough. I, like I said, I don't know if he's injured or not, but it's just right, we don't want to speculate one way or the yeah, other. The, the, the timing seems a bit odd that after he comes off a three-day break, that all of a sudden he has this lower body injury. So. Uh, we'll see, but uh, like I said, there's so many division games coming up, and the Penguins can ill afford to lose too many of those. So uh, I don't know if you'll see Chris Letang getting many rest, many uh, games of rest if he's healthy. Yeah, there are plenty of games to come, as you just mentioned. Before that, there's that bye week coming up, too. Remember yes. that? Uh, the second week of January. But the Penguins play, I want to say, seven times in 12 games starting tonight leading into that bye week. So the schedule's about to pick up. In a big way, they'll have a road trip coming up, Carolina, Detroit, Philadelphia, a road game at the Islanders 
mixed in too. So they'll be bouncing all around, and well, I don't know if uh, Chris Letang will need some extra time to, to get ready to go back on the ice, but at the very least, the Pens will be without him this evening against the Blue Jackets. Plenty more hockey talk to come. Here from the Terrace on 5th, above Buford's Kitchen. Great place. Come check it out for all your pre-game needs or any night of the week. In fact, Matt Geica with Vince Comunel. We shall return on ESPN Pittsburgh. Get up and join 970 Saturday mornings at 9 for Penn's Week. It's an inside look at the Pittsburgh Penguins that takes you behind the scenes and gives you the inside story on the Penguins. Listen, we got a good hockey team here, and, you know, we, we have people that we know we can win with. It's Penn's Week, Saturday mornings at 9. Oh, I just want to see it fail sideways in Toledo. Exclusively on your home of the Penguins, ESPN Pittsburgh at 970 a.m. and now at 106.3 FM. He's Pittsburgh born, and we like him that way. What an incredible Cinderella story. This unknown comes out of nowhere. This is the Adam Crowley Show. The Cinderella boy. On 970 ESPN, and now on 106.3 FM. Serving up the hockey talk from the Terrace on 5th above Buford's Kitchen here in Uptown Pittsburgh. Yes, we are right across the street from PPG Paints Arena. And I say we. I am Matt Geica filling in for Adam Crowley here on ESPN Pittsburgh. And I'm joined for the next 36 minutes approximately by Vince Comuneo of the Fischler Report and the Point of Pittsburgh. He reports on the Penguins. In our first segment, we were recounting our Mario Lemieux comeback memories. It has been 17 years since number 66 stepped back on the ice. His number was lowered from the rafters. You don't see that too often. Usually it's something being raised, but in this case it was lowered. And yeah, you brought up Austin Lemieux. Speaking of him, he's in town. He's on the Arizona State Division One men's hockey team as a redshirt freshman, so he won't play this weekend. That's a bit of a buzzkill as they take on uh, Robert Morris, Providence, and Lake Superior State in the Three Rivers Classic down here at PPG Paints. But, yeah, Austin's around, and I wonder if he ever watches some of those old clips and, and thinks, uh, man, that was a pretty cool moment. But he also probably thinks, I wish I could uh, you know, go back and savor that a little bit more because he was still so young. Yeah, I, I, and I remember being at the press conference when Mario announced that he was coming out of retirement, and he got... Uh, pretty choked up when somebody asked him what were you know his major motivating factors for coming back and he got pretty choked up saying you know he wanted his kids especially Austin since he was so young to have at least a little bit of a memory of him playing on the ice so that was uh, definitely a major factor for Mario coming back and uh, as we see Austin is uh, kind of taken off in his own right playing uh, division one hockey yeah good to see him and yes Arizona State does have a division one hockey team they're the youngest program this is just their second year uh, the second youngest is Penn State. The third youngest is Robert Morris. So it's a, a growing commodity in this area, especially. And it was really great to cover Penn State against RMU down here at the arena uh, a few weeks back. Penn State, nationally ranked team. RMU always a power. And uh, college hockey is definitely a passion of mine. In addition to just general hockey, NHL hockey was off for the last three days, Vince. So you had the World Juniors kicking in yep. yesterday in Buffalo. Plenty of pucks uh, around the world to keep you occupied but now it's back to the NHL grind back to the schedule and going back over the weekend in fact on hockey night in Canada Nick Kiprios of Sportsnet dropped the report that he's hearing the Penguins are making Chris Letang available on the trade market now some of the details here before we really talk about that and the feasibility of it 
Chris is in the fourth year of an eight-year contract that pays him $7.25 million a season. He has a modified no trade, and what it is is the Penguins, if they were to try to move him, they would ask him for the 18 teams that he would be amenable to being traded to, so he can rule out 13 right. teams. So it's not that much of a no trade clause. I'm not sure how big of an effect or how much of a chilling effect that might have on negotiations, but overall, what's your opinion on where the the trade value for Latang is right now? Because we just spent 10 minutes in the previous segment saying how his game was way down, he was trending down, he's going to sit out tonight's game with a lower body injury, the neck surgery. What do you think the Penguins could actually get for a guy who still has four years left at 7.25 per? Well, there there aren't 18 teams in the league that could take on that salary. Yeah, that's number one. First off, so the the number of trade partners is going to be pretty limited. Um, at the same time, the Penguins are very strapped at the salary cap, so that might be a motivating factor as well as obviously his play has been this season. I unfortunately he's probably at his lowest value that he's that he's been at in a, uh, maybe ever as far as mm -hmm. uh, trade value goes. Just because, like I, we were talking about earlier, you look at his numbers five on five and his plus minus rating and. He's just been a turnover giveaway machine this year. Um, you know, everybody wants to run him out of town, and you know, if if the the trade is right, then you make it. But again, with how much money he's making, there are very few teams in the league that could take on that salary for that amount of time. Um, I, me personally, I would say that the Oilers would be a good trade partner. They they really could use a puck moving defenseman. The Penguins could really use a uh, third-line center like Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Mm, yeah. Uh, the only problem with that is uh, Nugent Hopkins makes uh, quite a bit of money as well. I think the Penguins would only be gaining uh, maybe a little bit over a million dollars in salary uh, by yeah. making that move. Not to interrupt you, it would be yeah. 1.25. Yeah. They would be gaining. Nugent Hopkins makes six per for the next three seasons plus this one. Right. I mean, obviously, he'd be a great center. And if you're trading Chris Letang, you probably want to get more than just Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Maybe at this point, just draft picks, because the Bengals have certainly traded away some uh, draft picks over the years, and it's time to start uh, building those back up. So, I mean, if you're asking me, I, I would say I wouldn't be opposed to a trade of Chris Letang, but the, the market's going to be very limited, and uh, you better be sure you're getting something good back in return, because while he's struggling right now, he is still a very talented defenseman. If you're a Jim Rutherford right now, and I think I know the answer to the question from his side of it, but I want to get your side of it too, Vince. I'm not sure if I load up at all this year. Maybe this is not a down year, but a year where you say, okay, we'll let this team get over whatever it's going through right now, and we'll plan for 2018-19, maybe one last run with this core still in their early 30s. How does that sound to you? Yeah, it's not completely out of the question. I mean, I, I actually wrote an article for the Point of Pittsburgh if you want to go over there and check oh, it out. Oh, Synergy. I like it. it, it I didn't it, even know that. About this very thing. If you look at uh, the LA Kings, for example, they win win a cup, go to the Western Conference Final, win a cup, then they miss the playoffs the next year after that. The Chicago Blackhawks, the same thing. They win three cups in six years. The last time they won the cup uh, was the, before the Penguins won the last two. The last two seasons, they've been eliminated in the first round and in an embarrassing fashion last year, getting swept by the uh, Predators. So, you know, th maybe that's just what's happening to the Penguins. They are just fatigued, and all those games are starting to catch up to them in this core. I mean, one, one thing that, that Rutherford might want to try before he pulls the trigger on a deal is get those young guys up here, Sprong and Aston Reese. 
I mean, by all accounts, they're they're not ready to be up here. They they would like uh, Aston Reese to probably score a little bit more. They would like Sprong to be a little bit more defensively responsible. But we've seen that infusion of youth work before with this team. So maybe that's what you try first. I mean, we're we're still only in December, going on January here. Maybe Rutherford tries that first before he pulls the trigger on a big deal and then goes from there. But it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. Um, as I said in my article on the point of Pittsburgh, I think it's more likely this season that you're going to see an early playoff exit for the Penguins than you're going to see a three-peat. I think that they'll struggle to get into the playoffs. I, I do think that they'll make the playoffs as maybe a 7-8 seed. But I think you're much more likely to see an early playoff exit than you are to see a three-peat. And that's totally reasonable at this stage of the game. They've yes. already defied logic and defied conventional wisdom by winning it back-to-back. -back. It was thought it couldn't be done in this era where uh, every game is so intense and uh, it's about speed, speed, speed. So it tends to wear you out. These games wear you out more than they used to. I think back in the day you used to be able to not have a night off but not give everything you had and still, if you were one of the top teams in the league, come out with, uh, with a win or at least a point. But the league has gotten more condensed. It's uh, You have your Buffaloes and your Arizonas, but for the most part, everyone can beat you on any given night. So you cannot have a, a down night and expect to come out of there with, with even an overtime game. Exactly. I mean, and just to get back to what we were talking about, the, I mean, you look from the 90-91 season until current, there's only been seven teams that have even made it to back-to-back -back Stanley Cup finals, let alone winning back-to-back -back Stanley Cups. That just shows you how difficult it is to get to the Stanley Cup final, let alone win it. And like you said, you know, with 31 teams in the league, there's maybe three or four teams in the entire league that where you could say, yeah, we're going to beat this team every time we play them. And yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't even know if I could list more than two. Yeah. And Arizona and Buffalo. Arizona. And then. Yeah, exactly. Maybe yeah. Detroit. Uh, possibly Ottawa with the way they're playing right now, but that's about it. Yeah, that's about it, and you, you wouldn't even have thought that of Ottawa earlier this season. No, you wouldn't have. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's no there's no gimme nights. There's no, uh, you know, 1985 Winnipeg Jets versus Gretzky's uh, Oilers <laughs> on or the, the schedule. the uh, 93 Senators against the Penguins. Or yeah, exactly. the 93 Sharks against the Penguins. Yeah, that, that's just not happening anymore. I mean, I mean, the expansion team this year, the Vegas Golden Knights, I mean, they've got one of the best records in the league. They're in first place. It just doesn't... It just just doesn't happen anymore so it, it's so much tougher now and you know i kind of alluded this in my article too there's more teams now than ever obviously um the the training and the the, the players have is better than ever the the tools that the coaching staffs have are better than ever there's just not an off night in the NHL. You're just not going to see it. I mean, even even the second game of the back-to-backs against Buffalo, that was a very tough game for the Penguins to win. They had to grind it out here at, yeah. at PPG. They did get that sweep of the home-and-home, home, but, yeah, even that one wasn't as easy as the previous night as usually happens in a back-to-back. -back. Well, maybe that's why the idea of going back to the farm for some younger enhancements could be the option to go to for... Jim Rutherford, you talked about Daniel Sprong. He's the high-profile guy. He's the sniper. He's the player they need to come through at some point in order to, to get some value from that second-round pick of a couple of years ago. But Aston Reese is in there as well. You also have players like Teddy Bluger, Thomas DePauly. Yep. Um, go on down the list. Uh, Dominic Simone, who was up here already this year. Yeah, Simone, he has looked okay. I, I think Adam Johnson can really skate. So can Freddie Tipples if he gets his game together. So there are some reinforcements, maybe not game-changing players outside of Sprong, but you could still pop them into a lineup 
for a Ryan Reeves or a Tom Kuhnhockel, and maybe they give you a little bit more energy from the bottom six or even in the case of Simone in the top six role. Yeah, I mean, those guys come up here. They're hungry. They want to show that they belong up here. And I'm not saying that, you know, a Carter Rowney or, like you said, a Tom Kuhnhockel, that they're complacent and, you know, satisfied with their place at the NHL. But it's completely different when you're an AHL guy called up here. You want to go out there and run through walls. And, you know, a guy like Ryan Reeves, he, which I, I think he's been okay this year for, for what the He's Penguins playing have, hard, yeah. yeah I think he's him. miscast on this team, but, yeah, he's given them what they what they have asked out of him, basically. I, yeah, exactly. I think that maybe on some nights where they're playing the more skilled teams, he looks a little bit lost out there. And I think, you know, as a side note, that's one of the, the problems the Penguins have had this year, too, where they used to just roll four lines. And... There's nights where Reeves is only playing, you know, three minutes a night where they're not able to rule the four lines like they used to. You used to look down and see that the fourth line played ten minutes every night, and the fourth line this year is playing maybe six, seven minutes a night. And I think that's a little different, too. I mean, on top of playing 213 games in the past two seasons, now you start to look and, you know, those first, second lines are playing an extra two, three minutes a night. That that adds up over the course of the season. So, you know, that's something to consider as well. But, yeah, I, I would like before Rutherford pulls off a big trade, if he does pull off a big trade, to see some of those guys come up here. And, you know, maybe, uh, you know, even Brian Russ sits for a night. Or, I mean, he exactly hasn't been scoring. I think it's been over 15 games now since he last scored. So, you know, maybe he sits a night in the press box and, and uh, you know, looks from above and maybe uh, – sits back and says hey i could be scratched just as easily as the next guy maybe i need to get my game together a little bit to your point that's why i think the third line center is the the key spot because that bumps down riley shea into a fourth line role no offense to carter rowney but you can see from the ice time like you said the penguins don't trust him as much as they trusted matt cullen in that role last year or if you want to say that cullen was better than benino which i have they didn't trust uh, they don't trust rowney as much as they trusted nick benino last year it's just a matter of losing a couple of guys and now well, looking, searching, and uh, it may have to be external as it turns out, whether it be on the wing, in the middle, on defense. I think the goal situation is, is pretty solid for the Penguins right now, but everything else is, um, I think, up for examination at the current moment. Let's take a break on ESPN Pittsburgh. We'll come back and discuss the Jackets. Are they a rival, the Columbus Blue Jackets? The players seem to think so. John Tortorello seems to think so from his comments at Morning Skate today. I'll pass those along and also... Ask Vince Comunel if he feels how I do, that uh, it might be the real up-and-coming rivalry in Penguins land these days. Keep it right here. He's a legend in Pittsburgh sports. The Godfather, Stan Saverin. A man who doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man. Saverin on Sports, weekdays noon to 2 on ESPN Pittsburgh, 970 AM and now on 106.3 FM. The Adam Crowley Show. I've never felt so alive until now. On ESPN Pittsburgh and the iHeartRadio app. Through the magic of live radio from the Terrace on 5th, right across the street from PPG Paints Arena. This is the Adam Crowley Show. I am Matt Geica filling in for Adam Crowley, who had some family matters to attend to and not the type of family matters that... Steve Urkel might know about, but real stuff here on ESPN Pittsburgh. That wasn't too corny, was it, Vince Comino? That was good. I'm, I'm down with the corny jokes. <laughs> Just that one of those things that you say and you think, oh, that sounded a little bit funny. So <laughs> TGIF was a solid lineup back in the day. You had Family Matters, you had Step by Step, 
What else do you have on there? Oh, goodness. You ever watch that Friday yeah, Night it's, ABC? It's step by Step was one of my favorites. Yeah, Patrick Duffy was so clutch yeah. on that was, show. Was Perfect Strangers in that, or was that too early? It might have been a little too early. Yeah. Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yeah. yeah. You throw her into that mix, too. That it was, was a really was good all good lineup. stuff, yeah. And I was a really cool kid, so I was at home a lot of Friday nights watching that stuff as well. I know that much. <laughs> I was also home watching a lot of hockey, and it's taken me pretty far. I've been able to parlay some of that sports knowledge into a... A uh, semi-respectable career here. I write for DKPittsburghSports.com. I am also a host at DK Sports Radio. And today I'm here on ESPN Pittsburgh with Vince Comunale of the Fischler Report and Point of Pittsburgh. And we're talking Penguins for the next 10 minutes. And we'll mix in some hockey talk leading up to Penn's Blue Jackets at 7.08 all the way to the conclusion of this program. Also some more Steelers conversation. James Harrison, the story of the day. Really not him, but his teammates' reaction to him going to New England and taking selfies with Tom Brady and doing all those things that make Yenzers very, very upset. You know what else has made Yenzers upset this year, I find, Vince, is the idea of Ian Cole on the trading block. I think a lot of Penguins fans consider Ian Cole to be a valuable member of this team, and at $2.1 million with an expiring contract this summer, I think it's totally reasonable to say that he's worth more to them this year than he would be for whatever he would pull in in a trade. What's your point of view on that i would agree with that i think for this particular penguins team the roster you look at it he has a very unique skill set that nobody else on the team has and i think if you trade him away you're not going to get something in return that's as valuable as the skill set that he has Uh, i don't think you're going to get a third line center if you trade him away you might get a fourth line center but the whole point of (laughs) they already have one yeah they already have a fourth line center they have a couple of fourth line centers (laughs) so I, i mean you know you could let him walk at the end of the year and keep him on this team because I think that, he, like I said, he has that valuable – he's a stay-at-home defensive defenseman, and um, until the trade last week, they only had one of them. And yeah. I, I think that this team is better off having two guys like that than having just one. And, I, I mean, Rutherford has shown before that he is willing to keep guys around that have expiring contracts rather than let them walk. I mean, we obviously saw that with uh, – you know, Daly, Benino, Colin, and, and many others. So I think for this uh, for for this roster, I think that he's more valuable on the team than anything that he could bring back in a trade. Gun to your head, the most common, or I'm sorry, the most likely Penguin to be traded, do you think, this season? Um, I would say it's actually one of the wingers, either Connor Sheary or oh. Brian Rust. I think that they have such a, a plethora of uh, wingers that, that are basically cut from the same mold. I mean, you know, Brian Ross, Connor, Sherry, Sherry, I should say. They have. <laughs> yes, you should say that. I've had a hard time saying that this yeah. year. But. Uh, I mean, even to a lesser extent, uh, Carter Rowney, Tom Kuhnhockel. I'm not, you know, putting Rowney and Kuhnhockel in the same offensive abilities as, you know, Rust and Sherry. But, uh, I mean, again, look at Rusty, he hasn't scored in 15 games. I think they have a lot of those same type of, of wingers, and, and even in Wilkes-Barre, the same type. So. I think that's where the, the biggest log jam is with players right now. So I think you're more likely to see one of those guys traded because, A, they're a lot easier to trade. They, they have very friendly uh, salary cap hits. And, B, like I said, there's a log jam at that position. Um, I, you know, a lot of people would say it's probably Latang or Cole. But, again, with, with Latang's contract as it is with the length and the amount, and then with again with Cole and you know what he brings to this team, I think maybe one of those wingers is the more likely guy to go. Are the Penguins going to be stuck with Carl Hagelin's four million dollars for next year? Um, I think the only way they get rid of them is if they do 
trade Latang and they essentially make another team take him. Oh, uh, I see. Yep. Um, say, hey, okay, you're going to take Latang. You know, we'll keep a little bit of his salary, but you got to take Carl Hagelin's salary or, or, you know, something like that. I don't think you'll just see Hagelin get traded for the sake of uh, Hagelin getting traded. Though, we've seen with the Arizona Coyotes before, they, they take guys with large contracts just so they could get to the salary floor. Yep. So, you know, they I think they have four guys on their roster that are uh, that haven't played in the NHL in the last three years, but they're paying their salaries. <laughs> so, I mean, you could see something like that maybe where the Penguins just are looking to shed salary and trade Hagelin there. But I wouldn't be so quick to trade Carl Hagelin either. I, I mean, I know he's making a lot of money and, you know, the production isn't there right now for the amount of money that he's making. But if this team does get into the playoffs, I think that's where his value becomes very important. Um, but, you know, and... You At know, some you, point, you got to put a, a puck in the net. It's just, I'm one of those guys, too. I'm process over results, so I'm with Sully on that side of things. But uh, this year, we just haven't seen enough. There was that nice stretch where Hagelin got a ton of scoring chances and looked like he was being effective again, but now he's faded to the background over the last few games. So it just hasn't been that consistent level. I suppose you could say that about the whole team. Yeah, I think that he's just a microcosm of the whole team. I, I I think that he did have, like you were just saying, he had a stretch of games where he looked like maybe he was breaking out of it and then back to back to earth i guess so to speak and i don't know what the answer is i I don't think that he is the 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 main problem i think that his speed is a very useful tool that the penguins could use unfortunately it seems like the rest of the league has gotten a lot faster too you know when the penguins won that first cup two years ago it was like oh these guys are winning because they're fast so the nhl's in most leagues are copycat league and a lot of teams went out and said, okay, we're going to base our game on speed, and now the Penguins aren't the fastest team in the league anymore. They're maybe maybe in the middle of the pack somewhere as far as speed goes. So, you know, maybe that's the, another reason that Hagelin is, is kind of faded a little bit because what Woods wants, uh, you know, a, a advantage that the Penguins had is just another thing that every team has now. That's a good point. You mentioned training getting better, nutrition getting better. That's just made the league faster in players train for speed at a younger age they're coming in faster than they used to as well so we'll keep our ear to the ground of course the nhl trade freeze for the holiday season ends tonight at 12:01 a.m so technically tomorrow and that's when the phone lines can heat up again although general managers are making calls over the break it's just that they can't make a move from the 20th to the 27th and thank you for